heard what happened this week. I raise a hand. Okay. Um, I'm going to start off this way because it's something that we all need to be talking about and praying about. I showed up to work on Wednesday after some intense prayer in, um, and just feeling a weight on me, I guess, for a lack of a better way to say it. I show up to work Wednesday, and I, I open my email up, and ten minutes after I get to work, I, I get an email from Stella, and it's got three lines in it. It says, don't ask God to guide your steps if you're not willing to move your feet. And then it says underneath that, this was in my inbox this morning, and I felt compelled to send it to you. Now, as I tell you that, I want you to know that I really think that God was moving her to send that to me for a reason, but let me share with you how the day started, and it will kind of fit together. I woke up that morning. Uh, you guys have heard my, uh, uh, you've heard my vision for several weeks now, and it's really becoming our vision. It should be becoming our vision. This should be the vision of the way church, not just Seth's idea to get something done. Um, but with everything that's been going on and everything that, that has been on my mind lately, uh, I woke up that morning just with a, a lot of, just a, a weight, I guess, an intensity about this, this idea of stepping out of this place and moving to some place more public. Um, and, and I just was, I, I couldn't do anything but pray, really, is what it, what it amounts to. Is I, all I could do was just pray. I mean, I, I felt this heaviness. I felt this weight. I don't know how to describe it other than that. And so I just prayed. And, yes, I was praying as I was getting ready. I was in the shower and I was praying. <clears throat> as I told this story earlier, somebody thought it was funny that I was praying in the shower, but you're supposed to pray constantly. That doesn't, that doesn't let you go in the shower. So, anyway, I, it, just, it took a long time to get my shower done because I was, I mean, I, was, I just stopped and was praying. But, anyway... Let's get that picture out of your mind. We'll go on. <laughs> I did finally make it to work, but only after sitting down and writing a proposal to a woman who we had been kind of talking to. I think most of you had heard that I'd been talking to this woman about a place on the south side of town, Battlefield in Jefferson, and I had been putting off writing this proposal to her because I knew what I was going to be asking for was not nearly what she wanted. And so I sat down and wrote the proposal. I called Amy and I said, Amy, pray about this. I feel like, you know, we need to be doing something. Even if she tells me no, I feel like it's our place to at least begin putting the offers out there and see what happens. So I get to work and I see that email and I'm like, well, thanks, Stella. Now I really got to send this thing. And I thought, well, at lunchtime I'll send it. But there was something else on my mind, and that's fundraising. And Jackson, a few weeks ago, or not even a few weeks ago, a few days ago, had given me a name of a guy that to contact that had done quite a bit of fundraising as he started a ministry. And I thought, you know, if nothing else, he can give me pointers. He may be able to help me understand the best way to go to somebody and ask them for their money. You know, right now I'm just saying, hey, give us some money. And maybe there's a better way to do it. You know, maybe a more effective way to do it. And so I thought, well, I need to send him an email. I hadn't contacted him. I'd been, I don't know why, I just, just had been being put off. And so... I thought, I need, to, I need to write this email. So I sat down and I wrote this email. And I finished writing this email, and ten minutes, or, or it took me about ten minutes to get the email. As soon as I hit send, I looked, and there's an email waiting in my inbox from this lady who I've been speaking to, who I had not talked to for several weeks. 
well, maybe a couple of weeks anyway, who owns the building, who's wondering if we're still interested. And I thought, okay, can't wait till lunch. You can't, you can't put this off any longer. You need to send this, this proposal. So I sent the proposal. And when I sent the proposal, I thought there's going to be one of two things happen. She's going to laugh and immediately send me back an email that says, you're crazy, that space is worth way more than that. Or, okay, you, know, you, can, you can have it. Well, something else happened. There's a third, third response. It goes to show I'm not as smart as I think I am. Although I, I'm pretty close, but not quite. She sends me back an email and says, I'll think about it. And I thought, wow, what do we do now? We wait. So all day long, it was tough to get anything done at work because all I could think about was looking at this email and seeing what she had to say. At 5 o'clock, just before I went home, Amy calls and says, hey, did you see that email from Letty? That's the woman who owns the building. And I said, no. She said, she's asking some questions and I don't know, it sounds like she thinks, like she's agreed to it. And I was like, come on, really? So I sit down and I got to check my email before I leave. And uh, she agreed to it. So, yeah, it's an exciting thing. So I think, well, that's it. We, we, just, we just need to keep moving forward, see what, see what happens. So she sends me an intent to lease, which is not a binding contract. It just lays out the terms of the lease. Um, and uh, basically, what, what she was asking for was over $4,000 a month once you figured everything in, not including utilities, over $4,000 a month and two to three years. Of course, we can't do that. Um, what I offered her was $2,000 a month and one year with an opportunity to renegotiate the contract, renegotiate the lease, or exit the lease. And she said, okay. So, now that's a little more expensive than what I had first anticipated offering for the first six months, but it's also less expensive over the whole course of the year than what I anticipated offering her. And so, basically, she's agreed to let us use this building for less than half of what she wants for a much shorter time period than what she would have asked for. Why am I telling you? Because the people that are sitting in this room are the only people that can really make that happen. Now, I need, to, I need to keep telling you the story. So I, I think we're done. I think this is it. We're, we're headed this direction. But it amazes me that once you start just putting your feelers out there, that, that, that all kinds of things happen. And, and God gives us all kinds of things to seek his wisdom and discernment for. I'm sitting at home yesterday studying, pre preparing for tonight, and Sarah Campbell calls. Hey, you remember that guy that was the, the, the guy and the lady that came to the vision dinner with me last week? And I said, yeah. Well, he goes to Ridgecrest, and he went to church the next day and brought it up as a prayer request, and, and he's got this building on the, on, on, on the other side of town, and I think she said it's West Kearney. Um, West Kearney, and he's got two vacancies, and typically he would sell them, or rent them for $650 a square or six hundred and fifty dollars each for each bay, but he would uh, he would rent you both of those bays for half. Is that that's what I'm understanding? And I'm like, wow, I you know I made my decisions. I'm I'm done. Uh, but I thought, you know, we can't just look at this and say no to it. 
we need to pray about it. So and I, I think that's kind of how I responded to Sarah. I was like, well, that, wow, this is, this is different. I, I kind of was heading in the direction I need to pray. However, uh, as I prayed about it, I really think that what we need to do is look at one opportunity at a time. And, and so uh, as I thought about it and looked at the areas and looked at I, I really think that the place the Lord's leading me to land, it's a little more expensive, but is that place at Jefferson and Battlefield. I still want to contact this family because, man, first off, that's extremely gracious of them. But it may be that if we look and we pray through this, it may be that the Lord leads us in that direction. But also I want to talk to them and just continue to, to build that relationship because I don't know what will come. But it's just one more demonstration, kind of how we talked about last week, of we don't know the outcomes. When we begin to talk about what God's doing in us and our church, how it may affect the people that we talked to. Had no idea who this guy was. You you obviously knew who he was, but I had no idea that he might even think about something like this. And so I say that to encourage you to talk to your people, the people that you know, the circles of influence that you live in, but I also want you to know that God is moving, He is working, and He's going to provide a place for us to land and provide a place for us, and He's going to make a way for us. Now, before we begin and, and, and before we leave that, how many of you have seen the property that I've talked about at, at uh, the little gym at Battlefield and Jefferson? How many of you, let me ask this question. We don't have an official membership and we don't have an official way to vote on things, but how many of you feel comfortable moving forward and looking at that, that are core members, that know you're committed to this church um, and have made that commitment? How many of you right now are, are comfortable continue, continuing forward and looking at, at leases and, and just continuing down that path. Everyone, well, everyone at least that I think of that, that considers himself a core member. So, we're going to do that. Now, <laughs> here's the next step. This intent to lease wants guarantors of the lease. How many of you are willing to put your name on a line with me because you believe God's going to use this space? This is where the, the rubber meets the road. How many of you will with me make sure this lease, lease gets paid over the next year through your tithes and offerings? Okay. Well, we're going we're gonna to head that direction. Now, I need to move on because now we need to think about, and, and you've heard me, we started last week, and let's just jump off from where we, where we left off last week because ultimately some of you aren't here and we'll need just a little review. Um, but others of you uh, who were, you, I just want to remind you of, of what we talked about. We talked about, we've moved from talking about uh, a vision and, and what it looks like to talking about strategy. How do we see this vision begin to unfold? How do we, how do we see to, begin to see making it happen? And as I talked last week, I have been convicted of this and uh, have, have brought that to you guys to let you know that Really, I think there's only one way to see this thing move forward, um, and that is the uh, basically the handing off of the gospel, the, the the biblical truth that God's given us. And and so I've called you guys to a discipleship process. And you, most of you, I think, had seen an email this week. Is that right? Did everybody see the email this week? Two of them. 
two uh, short stories that I wrote uh, just about discipleship. And I had this process figured out that I could give you computer links or, 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 or give you Internet links or give you DVDs and CDs, and you could learn and, and study this. And then we would set up these little discussion groups to come together <coughs> and, uh, and study or, or discuss what we'd learned. Well, that's not going to work. I was rejected on downloading this stuff off the Internet and making copies of it because they'd rather sell it. And so I don't want to break the law. I don't think it would be good for me to hand out bootleg copies of DVDs to teach you guys biblical truth. Um, you might learn something, but I wouldn't be setting a very good example. So uh, we're not going to do that. Uh, but we'll get creative about how and, and what we'll do to make this happen. It's just going to delay my timeline. Um, but that's okay because it, it may actually work out better. Um, I found that when my timeline gets delayed, it's usually really better. Um, but that's okay. And so we will, we will continue on that path and we'll continue to look at that. But as I think about and talk about this strategy of, of me teaching the people who are under me biblical, solid biblical truth, solid solid theology, solid doctrine, so that they can then turn and teach it to others. This, this model being demonstrated through Paul and Timothy, or you could really use Paul and Titus, or, or, or even Paul and the many other disciples that followed after him, because what he did was he taught solid truth that he'd been taught by Jesus, and he turns and he teaches these disciples, who then he tells to turn and teach others, and then they turn and they say, as I'm teaching you, you turn and teach others. And so there's this movement of the gospel through the ages. And, and ultimately, ultimately what began to happen is that people's lives began to be transformed. I mean, they were changed, turned upside down. Priorities were different. Perspectives were different. Everything began to be different for them. And, and, and the way that they approached life and looked at life was totally different. And as I thought about how we see that happen and the strategies that we can use to see that happen, I, I just began to think. I thought, you know, well, there's all kinds of things we could do. There's all kinds of things that, that we could use. And, and my, my mind first settled on methods of things like the, the music that we play. The, you know, I mean, this is different than most churches do it. Well, not most now. There's, there's many, many that do it this way now. There's, there's uh, the, the, the casual atmosphere, the untucked shirts, not, not, not having... Um, uh, Maybe all of the structure that you're used to. The, you know, we could we could talk about, um, oh, you know, the, the catchy sermon titles and the and the marketing that churches do. And and ultimately, as I began to think about that, I, I realized that that while that's good, and while I think there should be a measure of that happening, that's not really the strategy that we can land on. See, as, as, as we call people to this and as we reach out and reach towards people, we can't just use these methods and they just be empty methods. There must be something that they stand on and that makes them effective and that makes them, uh, gives them a, a, a foundation. And that strategy goes right back to where we landed and it started from last week. It's biblical teaching. And this is one of the things I love about this network that we've, that we've begun to... to uh, partner with is that one of the things that they're huge on, that, they're, that, they are, um, that they push for, is that in their churches they want rock-solid theology, 
but they don't want to reach out and attack the culture while they're doing it. See, that's one of the faults of the church. And we kind of talked about this last Wednesday, is that as we have our theology and we have our teaching and we have the ways that we perceive life and, 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 and approach life, we, we think, well, now we've got this. And then we start to place this on everybody else out in the world. But Paul tells us, no, you can't do that. This, is, this, this, this truth, this, this theology, this way of living is for the church. And you look at one another and you call one another to that. But you can't look at culture and you can't, you can't point to them and demand that they live by that same standard. Because if you do, you know what you've made? If, if you get them to live the same way that you live and do the same things that you do, you know what you've made? You've made a person who's living for their salvation by works. You've not made a disciple... You've made someone who's following a set of rules and thinking that they're better for it. That would be the same thing as, as, as we had someone talking about Nicaragua out there earlier. It would be the same thing as if we went to Nicaragua and we built houses and we said, okay, now your life is better because you got this house. Is their life better? Absolutely. But has it done anything for them of substance? We've met a temporary need. Do we need to meet temporary needs? Absolutely. But if all we have to offer is an experience, is, is a, 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 an empty methodology, then we got nothing. And we might as well let people stay at home and sleep in on Sunday. Because the reality is, is that all we would be doing is getting them to spin their wheels in the mud. And they would be making no eternal changes and there would be no... No, 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 no um, conversion in their life. No, no, no meeting Jesus. Now, don't hear me saying that we shouldn't be attractional. We need to be attractional. Think about this. When the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost, you guys have heard me talk about this and speak from Acts chapter 2 numerous times. You can go back and read this at some point if you'd like. When the Holy Spirit came down and He came down in flames and it was like tongues looking over these men and immersed them in His power and in His presence, there was this huge noise like a rushing wind. And you know what that did? It drew a crowd. And when those people came running to see what happened, you know what they saw? They saw men empowered by the Spirit they were, they were prophesying and speaking in tongues. And we don't necessarily, necessarily hold to that, that all of this will still happen today. They were prophesying and speaking in tongues, and it was such an amazing sight that people were talking about it, trying to figure out what was going on. And, and, and they started saying, some of them started saying, well, they're drunk. They've been drinking all morning. And Peter stands up and gives a spirit-empowered, anointed gospel message that brings 3,000 people to believe that day. That's how attractional this one thing was. There was more than 3,000 people there to listen. There was more than 3,000 people to hear it. There's nothing wrong with being attractional. The question in my mind, and it rolls over and over in my mind, and it has for a year and a half, as we seek to be attractional, 
when we see people coming to us, what will they experience? Will it be empty methodology? Or will they see a Spirit-filled, God-empowered people on the move for His kingdom and His glory? And it all falls back. Not just our biblical knowledge. Oh, that's part of it. But it all falls back to how close we've been to Jesus. And there's only one real way I know. One extremely efficient way I know to experience Jesus. There's plenty of ways that you can experience Jesus, but there's one way that you can hear Him speak right out loud. And that's in His Word. Tonight I want to talk about that. I want to focus on that. And I want to make it clear. As we move forward, I'm not calling you to learn theology and and, and learn a deeper level of, of Scripture because I want you to treat the Bible as a textbook. As we take the classes and go through these classes... It won't be just because we can have a class. But it's going to drive you to Scripture. In fact, every week there's, there's going to be Scripture memory. And, 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 and uh, uh, the reality is, is that, man, I don't want to memorize Scripture. I did that when I was in Sunday school. Man, I tell you what, I don't think there's any better way that, to, to, to learn it than to memorize it. I think this is something that will be imperative. It will drive us to the Bible and I think that that's where we'll begin to see things propel us forward. So that as we're attractional, as we're building this church, we're not building this church just on empty methodology, but we're building it by the power of God. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 19. Um, and while you're turning there, let me just explain to you kind of what's going on in this psalm. David is, David is uh, writing this psalm and he's demonstrating how God has revealed Himself to the people of the world. And as, as the psalm opens, he, writes, he begins writing about how God has revealed Himself in nature. And, and that, that this, this revelation in nature speaks to everyone in the world. There's no language that doesn't hear this. There's no person that doesn't know this. And so he's, he's giving this, uh, the, the, this praise and, and talking to God about how amazed He is, is that, that, that everywhere He looks, he sees evidence of God. But then, as he's speaking about that revelation, he comes down and he speaks, not taking away from this, not, not saying it's less important, but then speaking about some revelation that's much more clear, that's much more uh, specific. And we'll pick up in verse 7, we'll just read three verses. <clears throat> the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. And, and, and as I thought about that and read that again and again and again and again, I couldn't help but think about what he says in verse 10 when he talks about how precious it is. How, how sweet it is. 
We live in a culture who is trying to nominalize and, 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 and just lump Scripture in with all the other writings and, and, and make it sound as if it's, it's just some other book. But there's a lot of books written. Why is, why is yours better than the other? What, what's so special about it? And David's letting us know that the Scripture, this, this Word from God, is worth more than anything. There's nothing more precious. And, 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 so, and, and so as we come to this, and as we build this church, we must again remember, in the midst of a culture that wants to make it be something, something just normal and regular, we must be reminded of how precious it is that God has spoken. That God has revealed Himself. He's not just revealed Himself, but He's also revealed how He works. And that's what we're going to see tonight. We'll, we'll see those things demonstrated. The, the first thing I want you to notice, in three verses, six sentences, we see six different expressions of God's Word. Look back at the verses and you'll see them. <clears throat> you see first, His law. And not only His... This, this isn't necessarily referring to the Mosaic law, but it's His commands altogether. And then it talks about His statutes. His precepts, the commands. And here's one I struggled with and I had to study on for a little bit. The fear of the Lord. How in the world is that His revelation or is that Him revealing Himself? But it's these awe-inspiring or fear-inspiring truths. When you begin to understand who God is, it should make you tremble. Anyone who saw God, in, or not saw them with His eyes, but anyone who experienced His power or saw Him move, that's what they, they became afraid. Even people who saw angels would fall to the ground in fear. John, sitting on the beach as he's about to write the book of Revelation, turns and sees Jesus and he is trembling in fear. The angels, as they're talking about Jesus' birth, the, the shepherds are scared to death. Because when, you, when, when we, with our limited perspectives in our, in our simple minds, and I'm not trying to call you stupid or ignorant, but we have simple minds compared to eternal things. When we experience the eternal power, the eternal glory of our God, it should cause us to tremble. And so as I think about this, this isn't the fear of God. This is the, the fear-inspiring truth of God that He's talking about, that this revelation is pointing to. And then finally, not just His, his law, His statutes, His precepts, His commands, His fear-inducing truths and His ordinances, every one of these things points back to God's Word. <coughs> Figured that out. Every one of those points back to His Word. Everything. And, and, and think about this again. Think about it. And, and try to wrap your mind around it. This God, who's eternal, whose power, He's in need of nothing. He could do anything. This God, who when He created man and woman and put them in a perfect environment, who gave them the ability to choose in that environment, this God who had given them everything, His people rebelled against Him. His creation, the, the, the crown jewel of His creation, chose some other path than what He wanted for them. And all that came after them did the same thing. And just a, just, just a while later, he's looking at his creation 
and at the people of His creation. And He is grieved because everything they do is evil all the time. And here comes the flood. But that didn't fix the problem. Because as soon as Noah got off that ark, they started doing the same old things. And that his children and their children and the children that came after them to our generation are doing the same old things. But this God, this God who had every right to say, you're condemned, I'm done, I'm not doing a thing for you, spoke into it. And in our fallenness and in the darkness, He shines His light. He showed us Himself. We don't deserve that. <laughs> it's not what we deserve. It's His Word. It's so precious. It's more precious than gold. It's sweeter than honey. And as He speaks, He speaks with purpose. And He reveals Himself Look back at the verses. He didn't just speak. He just didn't give commands and, and demonstrate His ordinances. He spoke about Himself. Look at it again with me. He starts and He says, The law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commands of the Lord are radiant. You, you, you hear the descriptive words. You hear what this is saying about His Word. It's pure. It's eternal. It's never ending. It's completely righteous. Now here's, here's the interesting thing. Every one of those words that is applied to His Word demonstrates something about Him. And here's the reality of it is that as we expose ourselves to His Word, we expose ourselves to Him. You see, reading the Bible is not just reading another book. It's reading the very Word of the eternal God who created you, who knows what's best for your life. We've got so many influences in the world today. And, and this is something I thought about early on. We've got so many things that influence us and that we allow to, to shape our thinking. But unfortunately, we've lost sight of the value of His Word and it's often the last thing we turn to. When it should be the first. It should be an ongoing process. It shouldn't be that and, and, and maybe I have no reason to feel this way. Maybe this is just my own silly little perspective. But it shouldn't be that I have to feel almost guilty for calling you guys to learn something more than you'd learn in Sunday school. Or that you'd learn something, something deeper than you would learn sitting and listening to me. It should be something we desire. You see, this is the God who saved you speaking into your life. Timeless and irrelevant truth for who you are and what you experience. This is it. It's not the only place that you can find truth. There's plenty of things. And you can look in nature and see all kinds of things about God. You can listen to, to, to people who speak and whose words agree with Scripture. 
But there's no other place that you can turn and trust so deeply. The Scripture. But oftentimes it's that last place we turn. Oftentimes it's that last thing we look to. Brian Chappelle, or Brian Chappell, I'm sorry I mispronounced his name, but Brian Chappell is a seminary professor at Covenant Seminary. And he shared this story in a, in a sermon I heard recently. He shared a story of a young man who he went to seminary with. And they graduated and went their different ways. And they got together a couple of years later. And this guy had gone into the youth ministry. And he sat down and as they talked, this man shared a story uh, about something he had done to impress upon the students that he had how important the Word of God is. And so what he did, he prearranged this at, a, at another student's house. What he did was he set some, some chairs in a circle and he set one right in the middle of the circle and then he put a Bible verse on each chair around the circle. So he brings the kids down and he asks them to sit in the chairs around the perimeter. And he tells them, this is what we're going to do. He says, we are going to ask one person to sit in the middle chair, we'll blindfold them, and we'll ask them about some problem in their life. And then each of you will look at the verses that you have in your chair, and if you have something that, that relates to that, you'll read it out loud. And because they're blindfolded, what they'll be hearing is God speaking to them. Because it's His Word you're reading. Well, he thought it was a brilliant idea. He thought, oh, this is going to be cool. This is going to be really good. The kids thought he was an idiot. And uh, they resisted. And uh, they would sit... Uh, nobody really wanted to get in the middle chair. But some, some would here and there. And the, the biggest thing that they could get him to talk about, or the biggest problem that they felt like they faced, was getting an A on their next math, math test. And, you know, really, you might be able to find a Bible verse that that says something to that, but, but he wanted them to see that, that, that God doesn't just help on that test, but he's, he's relevant to the needs of your life. And so he was hoping that they would go deeper. Well, this one new girl finally gets up and she decides that she's going to sit down in the middle chair. She sits down in the middle chair, the middle chair, they blindfold her, and she says, I hate my life. I don't know if I can take it anymore. Well, this is extremely awkward. In fact, they, the kids all looked down at the floor. They looked at their shoes and stuff. And then one finally looked at, his, looked at his card. And he reads this. But I am faithful. And I will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able. But will with the temptation provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. And she said, nobody cares about me. Somebody else says, but I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I have called you with loving kindness. And then in rage she says, No, you don't understand. My parents kicked me out last night. They told me never to come back. And someone reads this. But I will never leave you. Nor will I forsake you. The blindfolds removed. The girl sitting there in tears. She looks at that youth pastor. And she says, well, why couldn't God? Why couldn't Jesus just say that to me? And he looked at her and he said, those were his words. He has said it to you. You see, when God's word becomes real in our lives, we're not 
We're not waiting to hear His voice at some eternal moment. We're hearing it right now. The Reformers taught, the Second Helvetic Confession taught, that as the preacher preached the Word of God, that God was speaking. John Calvin got very... He, got, he, he just brought it right to the line and he says this. He wrote this in his confessions. He says, God has so chosen to anoint the lips and tongues of His speakers that when they speak, the voice of Jesus comes out. You see, this needs to be such a rich part of our lives so that as we go to culture, we don't attack them and make them feel... Let me say this carefully. So that we don't attack them and condemn them based on our standard. But that we come to them with the words of Jesus. Because when you speak God's Word, God speaks through you. And I don't know of any other way to see that happen if we don't know it. We must take it upon ourselves to learn His Word, to see Him move in us and change us and transform us and and make that difference in us so that we can then be prepared to turn and tell others. You and I, please hear me, I, I include myself in this, have nothing of worth to offer. We can build medical clinics and we can do youth centers and we can, and we can reach out in, in, in different things and we can, and we can bring and go and, and, and we, we can set up a cool band who plays cool music and, and we, can, we can go and we can put commercials on the radio and we can call people in and we can go and knock on their doors and invite them. We can go and tell our friends about what is happening, but you and I have nothing of worth or eternal value to offer except what God has already done in us. The strategy, the strategy that will and has been shaping this church has been a solid and will continue to be a solid foundation on His Word. Will we agree with everything? Probably not because we're people and we think we know better. But are we called to submit to His truth? Absolutely. You see, here's the cool thing about His Word is His Word isn't just some... It it, it doesn't just reveal some attributes about Him. It It doesn't just let us know what His personality is like. It lets us know what He's like and what He does and how He works. And, and, And not just how He works, but how He's working in you. Continue to look at this passage with me in, in, in verse 19, or not in verse 19, in verse 7 again of chapter 19, it says this. It says the law of the Lord is perfect, but it doesn't stop there. It tells us what it does. It revives the soul. It gives life. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Making wise is simple. You know what? We're simple. We're sheep. And I'm not saying that you're stupid or ignorant because you're not. But when you think about how God works and how He looks at things in His eternal purpose and vision and glory, you and I are simple. But by His His power and through His Word, we can be made wise. But it goes on. It gives us joy. 
makes us ready. It changes lives. Isaiah 55.10 says, 10 and 11 says, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and, the, and bread for the eater, so, <clears throat> so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's Word does more than just sit in a book. It moves. It invades lives and brings transformation. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's Word digs into His people and it changes us. It's living and active. It helps us see the truth of a situation. It changes us. In, in, in so many perspectives, in our mind's eye, it seems like this would be counterproductive to not be running out to the world automatically and doing all that we can to, to gather as many people. But I'm calling you to slow down with me and let's learn the Bible. It, must be, it may sound counterintuitive or counterproductive. but I don't think it is. I'm not asking you to not talk to people. I'm not asking you to, to, to sit with me for another year as we continue and, and just learn the Bible. I want you talking to people. I want this to be a, a, a happening at the same time. But we need to take time for preparation. Think, of it, think about this. How many of you have seen the movie Karate Kid? It's an old movie, I know, and some of you may be too young to watch it or too young to have seen it. But I'll explain. I'll give you the, 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 the gist of it. Ralph Macchio played this guy who got, what was his name? Daniel LaRusso. Daniel LaRusso moves into town, gets a crush on a girl, her jealous boyfriend beats him up. He's part of a karate uh, dojo that they just, they just beat each other up with this karate. And Daniel decides, I need to learn karate so I can defend my honor and win the girl. And he just happens to live in an apartment complex with this karate guru. And so he goes to this man, Mr. Miyagi. He goes to this man and he says, I want to learn karate. Mr. Miyagi says, okay, come to my house in the morning. Well, it's a little longer and more detailed than that, but... I'll spare you the details. Come to my house in the morning. So he goes to his house. He says, okay, I want you to stand to death. That may have been what he started with. Wax on, wax off. He had him wax all these cars and, and take the wax off, and he had him do it in specific ways. I want you to wax on this way. I want you to wax off this way. Sand the deck. And he has him do all these specific things. And in Daniel's mind, he's thinking, man, I want to learn karate. I didn't come here to do this guy's chores. I want to learn karate. You guys know what happens? Well, he ends up being a, an amazing karate fighter. I don't know what you call those people. A ninja. He becomes a ninja. In his mind, he's looking at this thing and it seems counterproductive. He thinks, well, this is how this guy expects me to pay for the, the karate lessons. 
It's counterintuitive to him. It's counterproductive. But what it did was it placed a foundation, a solid footing on what, on what Mr. Miyagi continued to teach. And that's what learning these things over the next year and a half will do for us. You see, as we go, as we become attractional, as we get the name out there, I mean, think about this. We've just talked about this tonight. We've got a building that we're going to pursue, that we're going to at least begin to continue to pray through and continue to talk with this woman on. And as we pursue this, there, there very well could be, in just a few weeks, a building with our name on it that sits in the middle of a neighborhood that calls people to it. This could happen. It's the real deal. You can be excited about it. But, what will they experience? when they come in and sit with us? What will they hear when we speak to them? One last little thing and I'll close. As I did the research and studied for this message, I googled it. You know, you don't need to know anything. You just google it and you can learn it. I googled it. I googled church growth strategy. I got 10,200,000 hits. Now, obviously, probably you get far enough in there and most of them won't have much to do with church growth strategy. But the first ones all dealt with methods. How do you build a big church? Not one of them. Uh, let me be careful how I say this. I think that if you dug hard enough, you'd find this at the back of it. But most of them didn't have to do with making sure that we bring with our attraction some solid content. But I came across one that I thought was interesting. And it says this. This is from a pastor's blog. The name of the post is called Innovative Church Growth Strategy, number 3492. He writes, At Elevation, that's the name of his church, we spend a lot of time trying to create experiences that unchurched people would want to attend. That will never change. It's our mission, our meaning, and our reason for existing so that people far from God will be filled with the life in Christ. Now, let me, let me give you my perspective as I read that. And that's amazing. I exist so that people can hear about Jesus. I think, I think that's, <laughs> that's a great perspective as long as we don't let the gospel and bringing the gospel to the lost become our God, become our idol. We can't forget the worship of God. That's what was in my mind. But then he changes the perspective just a little bit and he says this, but our primary target audience is Jesus. Do you realize that when I preach, I'm not first preaching to you? It is more important for me to honor Jesus and speak His truth than to make you feel good. It's more important to me to honor my Lord than you feel like you've enjoyed this. Do I want you to enjoy it? Not as much as I want you to learn from it. But do I want you to be able to sit through this as I speak and be able to listen and be engaged? Absolutely. 
but I'd much rather see Jesus pleased. Our primary target audience is Jesus. Our worship service is ultimately for Him. If Jackson and the guys get up and they play these songs and they're doing it so that they can be glorified and so that people love them, shame on them. It's for Jesus. For His pleasure, for His glory, for His honor, for His praise. And I love that. Because I think that's right on. And he goes on to say this, And since no man comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him, that's John chapter 6, Maybe the theological essence of our church growth strategy to reach the unchurched could be restated like this. Create a church and a service that God wants to come to and He'll bring people with Him. How's that for innovative? I don't mind being attractional. I don't mind using methods to reach this people. We've got to do something to, to speak into a culture who are saturated with the lights and the pizzazz. We've got to do something to be heard and not just be white noise. But if we don't bring content with that, then all we are is empty methodology. That's the strategy. That's the strategy that will be the foundation of every method we use. And if you got this idea or this method and we can't in some way figure out how to bring truth into the middle of it, then we need to rethink how we'll do that method. Let's pray. Well, Father, I, uh, I hope 